0: Everyone, and thanks for listening in.
1: Welcome to Leading Well, where we get to know leaders and how they make it happen. I'm your host, Tim Davis.
0: And I'm his co host, Alyssa.
1: Thanks for coming in. Let's welcome our guest today. My name is Eduardo Angulo. Yeah, so before we get diving into earlier life, like, Eduardo, what is it that uh, your title and what you're up to these days?
2: Yes, I'm the lead person for the Neighborhood Family Councils Initiative uh, that was started uh, two years ago. By the civic, business, and education leaders
1: of Salem Kaiser. Yeah, awesome. It's good. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we partner with those guys on a regular basis. And uh, so, maybe tell us a little bit about what life was like. You know, maybe as a child, where'd you grow up, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah.
2: Well, I was born in uh, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in uh, one of the poorest neighborhoods. In, in uh, San Juan, uh, Barrio Obrero, and uh, just a very happy childhood. We didn't know we were poor. <laughs> uh, we were just uh, very loved, um, community full of values, mm. uh, the, uh, the values of uh, honesty, ethics, and help others without asking for anything in return. Mm. That was the rule in my household. My mom was a community leader. Yeah. Black Indian uh, woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then uh, you, you uh, at some point move from there, yeah, to— uh, uh, Yes.
2: Uh, we live in Panama City, And then uh, at the age of 16, uh, I uh, moved—almost 17 years old, I moved to New York City uh, to live with my uncle, who had been living in New York
1: for several decades by then. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, flashing forward maybe, uh, you know, into your uh, young adult years, what uh, what did that look like? Well, I—
2: I was trained originally to be a sewing machine technician. Mm. Uh, I started working at an early age and uh, working for the Yuki Corporation. is the largest uh, sewing machine uh, <clears throat> company in the world. And... Uh, by the time I was fifteen, I was already fixing sewing machines.
0: <laughs> I needed that skill when I borrowed my grandma's sewing machine one time and used the wrong things and don't put the thing right down and, you know, <laughs> it turns grandmas out it get mad. Takes it's some it's skill,
1: yep. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what what got you to Oregon and and how did you begin to get involved with? deeper in community service and those things? Well, I was born and raised in community
2: service. Uh, as I said, my mom uh, was always uh, the uh, the person, uh, the leader, the elder that especially the women would go to. Mm. Uh, and so, she was very respected, uh, very loved, uh, very compassionate person mm. and caring. And, and uh, So my first try of Fits in a Sewing Machine was taking her sewing machine apart, her singer sewing machine, which was the livelihood of the family. And I was like nine years old. And of course, that was like... uh, No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) You know, um, physical uh, punishment was in order.
1: Yes. And um,
2: it, it was part of the Latin culture back
1: then. I grew up in a similar you know, you screw up, you get disciplined and Good look work. how you and me Good. turned out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We're okay. <laughs> yeah. <I think>.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> depending on other people's like opinions. But years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So um maybe uh I, I know you uh had investment in you know, in California and some of the tougher neighborhoods there, and maybe take just a couple minutes and share about that stuff. Uh,
2: Well, um, uh, I am a professional uh, uh, Spanish-English translator and interpreter, and in that uh, capacity, I happened to run into Jim Brown, the famous Hall of Famer uh, football player, and he was starting a program called AmeriCan and um, he has put the program together and he was in need of a a written translation of his program. Mm. And I happened to be at the right place at the right time uh, and uh, he hired me to do the translation and in in that process of doing the translation, uh, he asked me if I could uh, start facilitating the program. So, my first assignment was to teach the program <clears throat> It was a three month long program uh, that was uh geared towards getting uh, uh trouble kids uh in Los Angeles. It is gang members mm-hmm. um, the The term "Want to be a gang member is doesn't apply much in southern california in <laughs> in uh, in Los Angeles neighborhoods. You are or you're not, you know, so there's are not such a thing as wannabes. Uh, there's gang members. Nah. Uh, so uh, my first assignment was a Lack high school in South Central Los Angeles. At that moment, uh, in 1990, was considered the most violent uh, high school in the nation. Mm. Uh, my second assignment was uh, also to work at the Los Angeles County Juvenile Probation Camps. where you will find um, another cushy job uh, you will find 11 (laughs) years old that you will never hopefully will see in Oregon Um, because the recruitment of the gang culture in Southern California it doesn't start until the kids are 10 or 11 it starts with the fact that grandpa was always in the prison system or uh, my uncle or my cousins so it starts at home. You know, in many poor neighborhoods, especially in South uh South Central and in East LA. Uh so so that was kind of my my uh, initiation with mm-hmm. Jim Brown. He mentored me, he trained me and uh <clears throat> at the same time that I was doing this work trying to help kids get out of the gang culture. Uh I had uh Almost sixteen years old uh, son in my household mm. that was in the gang culture mm. and it, what a uh, irony looking at myself at the mirror trying to help all the kids and uh, uh his mom and I we, we were impotent to try to help him and so I asked Jim Brown if there was a chance that uh that that I could go and work at a other program uh, outside Los Angeles to try to to get him out of uh, Southern California, and uh, Jim Brown suggested me to to come to Oregon. He had just come into uh, a partnership with uh, uh, Governor Barbara Roberts and mm-hmm. uh, he and the Oregon State Police in uh, <clears throat> to do. Uh, the program in the juvenile probation camps and in uh, the most troubled high schools. I grabbed a plane ticket, got on a plane, uh, didn't know anybody in Oregon. I knew that there was a city called Portland. It had a great uh, basketball team. Yep. And uh, that was the only thing I knew about <laughs> Oregon. So when they drove me from the Portland uh, airport to Salem, I was mesmerized. This looks like the, like Puerto Rico. This looks like the Caribbean. Uh, it was just gorgeous. It was March 2nd, March 2nd, of 1994, and I fell in love with it. It rained. And for me, that was just like, oh, my goodness, it rained here.
1: <laughs> and it is not
2: acid rain like yeah. in yeah. Los Angeles <laughs> right and there is no traffic I can get anywhere in 15 20 minutes mats mm-hmm. yeah mats yep. back in uh, in 1994 and I I just I called my wife at the time and I said I think that we need to get our kid over here yeah um that's cool uh, so I stay yeah my kid uh, initially I said that he will come, but then he did some research, and he was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to leave my homies here. for going to a place in the middle of nowhere. You're not going to get me there. Mm. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to uh, stay here. I like working with the kids here, but I really see that these kids have a chance. Right. They had not been um, indoctrinated. Mm. They just want to get away from mom's rules or from dad's rules, and they're acting up. Yeah. But I haven't seen a gang member. Right. These are all wannabes. These are perfectly fine kids just trying to figure it out what to do with their lives. Yeah, And I fell in love with Salem. I yeah. fell in love with Salem, I, uh, the, the small town. I'm a big boy, a big city boy, and and so for me it was a, pay, a change of pace, and uh, people were friendly. Yeah, um, I yeah. stayed, and that was uh, 29 years ago.
1: Yes, yeah, and so n- now you're working with uh, with C-bell and and you know as you yeah. you were saying, maybe uh, explain a little bit more about. Um, what you guys are up to? I mean, I know, but for our listeners, you know. Yeah. Well, let me give you just kind of like
2: like the last twenty nine years. Yeah, uh, kind of just a briefly. I uh, back in nineteen ninety nine, uh, with the help of my wife and twenty five other community leaders, uh, advocates for equal education in Salem, we created uh, what is known now as the Salem Kaiser Coalition for Equality. Uh, it was to work with the school district. Uh, to hold the school district accountable with what wasn't happening in terms of academic achievement of kids of color and English language learners and uh, low-income white kids. I was the executive director for 14 years. My wife took over uh, that position, and she just uh, retired last year. Um, in that process, um, uh, we did a lot of partnerships with the Sailing Kaiser Public Schools, Uh, The most important partnership that we did, we instituted for 13 years uh, a district-wide parent conference for parents to know their rights and their obligations and to try to create a a synergy between parents, students, and teachers of mutual accountability. Moving forward, uh, three years ago, Right here at in Kaiser uh, uh, Convention Center, um, Jim Seymour, uh, the former uh, executive director of Catholic Community Services, uh, with the support of uh, a developer, a local developer, Larry uh, uh, Tatarski, and, uh, and others. They came together, like 400 people, and they say, we're gonna commit civic leaders, business leaders, and uh, and the Salem-Kaiser Public Schools superintendent and her cabinet members uh, to try to transform, especially our uh, uh, most needed, uh, most needed uh, neighborhoods and elementary schools. And uh, with that in mind, they said, we want to create a pilot. And they look at the data, and they showed that the area of the Norgate Park, where Hallman Elementary is, mm-hmm. was the, uh, the the school that had the lowest uh, uh, academic scores and with the highest n- social needs in uh, Kaiser. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, they approached me and they said, we want you to help us. How do you feel about leading this effort? Uh, and we want to start here in your neighborhood. And the rest is history. We have in the past almost two years, we have created what is called the Fun Fridays, uh, Norgate Park. Yep. And uh, we got 400, sometimes 500 people. Uh, we fed them uh, Hot dogs and lemonade, something that I had done for like 10 years previously at that same park. Um, Mm. So, now we are in Kaiser. Yeah. Uh, The chief of police and the former uh, city councilman, uh, they insisted that if we were going to promote this project of uh, neighborhood family councils, that it was uh, great that we had selected uh, Norgate Park, Norgate area, to be the pilot. But uh, Kaiser needed to be Ness because he was the business leaders of Kaiser and Salem, not just Kaiser, and not just Salem. And so, sure enough, um, it's been now nine months since... uh, uh, we created a Kennedy Elementary and Kennedy Neighborhood Family Council uh it, got, it has nine members including uh, an African American uh Latino moms and two grandmas uh white grandmas uh it is an incredibly diverse and uh, uncommitted group of people who have come together to to try to change uh the predicament for yeah. all those black Latino and white kids in uh, in the Hallman, um, uh Elementary.
1: Yeah, if I can just give some more maybe common language to that. So the the model that they're using is to engage the parents that are already have kids in the school and give them a voice to what are their needs and what are their wants and dreams for that school that community that neighborhood and giving them a voice and an opportunity and then you add some resource and then the opportunities of different events that you guys are doing and and of course partnering with tons of people and uh and it really gives a voice to those parents and it's having a real effect you know and so i mean it's exciting it's exciting work you know you've You've done a phenomenal job of gathering, you know, everything from the civic and education and business and faith communities and all that yes. to, to come and help make that happen. It's pretty cool, you know. I, I know you also to be a highly educated guy, you know. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of degrees do you have? Uh, well, um,
2: believe it or not, I, I, I put myself through um, Chemekera Community College. My goal was to finish my political science degree with my son, mm. uh, but he never came. He never followed right. me. Uh, so I decided to uh, sign on uh, to to do a two-year program at uh, Chemegra Community College. I was elected the valedictorian of uh, 1997. Wow. Um, I'm trying to be uh, humble here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Uh, and that, ga- uh, that gave me the opportunity to be selected uh, by Linfield College political science program, which was uh, the most uh, difficult and known nationwide as being the toughest professors uh, on political science. I graduated with a double major in uh, in political science and in Spanish and uh, a minor in um world philosophies, mm. you know, so, yeah. And then I got that opportunity of doing that three-year program with uh, the University of Harvard, uh, being part of the team of the Salem-Kaiser Public Schools. Yeah. And that was a great honor and uh, something that I carry uh, with a lot of humbleness, to be honest.
0: So you got to think of what a great set of degrees for what you're doing now. You've got political science because a lot of your role is very city and, you know, civic, putting those together. You've got Spanish, obviously a humongous Spanish-speaking population in our area, as well as, you know, just even like having knowledge on, like you said, the world studies and things like that must equip you so well to do what you do. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know Eduardo, I mean, he is uh, a high-energy uh, guy who is really good at connecting and inviting Uh, others. And he's a really encouraging guy. And so he's a he models himself to be a safe place for all those folks, whether it's education or just a low income parent, uh, whatever, you know, and I think that's the that's the magic uh, in in what you're doing and what the organization uh, is doing. And and then we're, of course, partners with you and collecting lots of uh, data that helps us to improve and, and and assess and improve and assess, right, as, as we roll it out, you know? Because
2: and just because it's community organizing, it is not kind of disorganized. Right. It is uh, data-driven. The concept of the Neighborhood Family Councils is a concept that was started by this professor uh, of— uh, this graduate program, uh, Washington uh, University, it is a program that talks about having the affected in those very low-income communities uh, being the ones in charge of their own solutions. Uh, this really changes the paradigm of uh, poor, 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 poor me and brings out a paradigm that if you give me the support, I, with the help of others in my community, moms, dads, and neighbors, there is important to notice that in this program, the decision-making process is in the hands of the moms, of the dads, and the neighbors of the boundaries of Kennedy Elementary.
1: Yeah,
2: the only thing that I do is help them with uh, growing their own understanding of how to put events together, or how to bring out what we call walking to their own power. Right. We're all willing to do anything for our kids yep. if if it demands the situation demands it. Yeah. Uh, so, so for many people is that believe that just because you're low income and you're a Spanish speaker or you're uh, a white low income person or family, uh, you can barely survive in one income family uh, kind of uh, engagement. You cannot make decisions about your
1: surroundings. Yeah. nothing can be further from the, the truth. from the truth. Right. You know. Yeah. So let me try to uh, give you a quick picture for the, for our listeners of, uh, so they're doing this program in Holman and now they're uh, advancing it at Kennedy and next it'll be Highland and, and just continue to refine that. But the Winter Wonderland thing that, that Eduardo and his team just pulled off, we had uh, 500 and some odd folks show up uh, and and that was 175 families. I'm I'm going off memory. Yeah. And so we, we you uh, put it together where these families showed up. The line went all the way through the school and looped around, and every person got fed hot dogs and chips and cookies and opportunity. And then you went and you had a picture taken of your family. And then it, about 10 to 12 minutes later, it would get printed out, and there was a frame building craft table where the families all shared time in developing this frame and then you came back and got your picture and and it was a wonderful experience for those families and the families before they left took a quick survey because this is about that data right you want exactly. to we want to what do you need and then what can we help you to help advance. So it's not handouts, it's hand ups, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing we've done. We just were at a meeting yesterday yeah. and, and looked through that data and it's super encouraging. You know, I just want to, you may not tout yourself and your team, but I'm super proud of you and the community's uh, super grateful for all that you're doing. In maybe the last minute, what, what would you like to wrap up with as far as, you know, what's going on or what's next? Or? There
2: is uh, Roland Herrera, uh, former councilman of uh, Kaiser, uh, the first Latino elected to a city council uh, in Kaiser. He has a saying, very simple one. Uh, you can pretend to care, but you cannot pretend to show up. Mm. <laughs> what you yeah. find in this members of this Kennedy um, Neighborhood Family Council. These people are really saying, come on and show up. Support us. Yep. But you put it right where it needs to be. Let's get away from the handouts and let's give people a hand up yep. in supporting them and in letting
1: them lead the transformation of their neighborhoods and their schools,
0: exactly. right?
1: Which, in the long run, of course, builds uh, resilience and those other things in the community, right? And if and and at the core of finding resilience is if you can find uh, purpose uh, in your life, right? And so these things lead to them dreaming about things that they might not have thought of before, and that and that in itself can build resilience and can help us to get past some maybe pretty significant stumbles in our life, right, Correct. to keep moving forward, right? And so, yeah, that's the platform that you guys are providing, and it's there's. we could do three shows about what's going on, right? Uh, yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks so much, Eduardo, for being here, and thank you, listeners, for taking the time to hear a little bit of his story. And if you want to reach out to him, I'm sure there's ways that they can find you. How How would you point people to, to reach out to you?
2: Well, uh, you can always uh, um, email. Uh, I can give you my email. Yeah. Is E. Angulo1994 at gmail.com. Uh, you will find uh, that on Facebook, you <laughs> will find the, the, web, uh, the, the site for the Kennedy uh, Neighborhood Family Councils. There Just that yeah. Kennedy yeah. Neighborhood Family Councils. And you will also find the Facebook site of Hallman uh, Neighborhood Family Councils.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Leading Well by Valor Mentoring. If you'd like to listen to us again, we're live on KSLM every Saturday at 11am, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.